Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, seekers, finders, builders, and lifters. Welcome to this week's Right-Minded Podcast, where we are so community-minded that this topic comes up for us again and again. And Grant, there's no other topic we can do with today's guest, actually. Alexa Bigwarf is a community person, and our listeners will soon find that out when they listen to the interview. But since we've covered community in the past, uh, and since you and I are both heads of writing communities, I thought it would be good to reach deep and try to see if there are some ideas we haven't touched upon in past episodes where community is concerned. Uh, But before we do that, I thought it would be good to do a quick refresher and plug on some of our past community episodes. Yeah, we've done a lot with community very specifically, and I think it's part of all of our podcasts in some some way. But one of my favorite episodes around the summer, Community is Muse, and it featured Kelly Garrett, who's a, a writer who who seems to need community to write as much as she does ink in her pen. And, you know, she doesn't just participate in communities. She develops them and she helps them thrive. So she's a real inspiration to me. And a few years ago, it was also a real treat to feature uh, a nano prep special uh, called Writing with the Gusts of a Writing Community. And it featured Alexis Daria, who's a, a best-selling romance writer, but she was once a NaNoWriMo Municipal Liaison. In fact, she was one, I think, for nine or 10 years. And in case you don't know, a NaNoWriMo Municipal Liaison, that's a volunteer volunteer who hosts writing gatherings in their local communities. And we have about 900 such volunteers around the world. So Alexis is is kind of a community specialist in a lot of ways. And in our episode, Can Writing Be Taught? NaNoWriMo writer and teacher Lisa Stringfellow, you know, she talked about mentors and the power of a community. And then there was the episode, Everything You Need to Know About Being a Writer. And that featured uh, Kevin Larimer and Mary Gannon. And it focused on, you know, a lot of the different communities that they suggested or covered in their book by the same title. So really interesting episode. And, you know, so those are at least four shows that we've done that have, you know, really, you know, centered community. Um, but, you know, that's something we touch on pretty often, it seems. And I'm sure that's because we're both so community minded. But how about, how about you, Brooke? Did you have a writing community prior to She Writes? You know, I really didn't. And that's also because I wasn't a writer. (laughs) You know, I didn't certainly didn't think of myself that way. I wrote my first book when I started the press, and I would have said that my community was more the publishing community. Uh, But I wasn't even really that connected to the publishing community back then. You know, when I worked at Seal Press, I did go to a lot of conferences, and I enjoyed the company and community of other agents and uh, editors who went to those events. But that wasn't the same thing as having the kind of community that I have now. And She Writes definitely gave me that. You know, it was a built-in community that I became a part of first. 
uh, and then which I eventually came to lead, which I wouldn't have foreseen. And, you know, I think that's oftentimes how community can happen for people. Like you find your thing and you start getting involved. And then in time, you can become a central figure in that organization or just a steady member. Uh, Grant, you know, we've talked in other episodes about showing up, doing it. If you're not a joiner, you know, try to find something, go to events, stuff like that. And it's all good advice for sure. But I thought it would be interesting for the sake of a different take on this to explore the shadow side of community, because I think a lot of people have lots of experience with those shadow things. You know, they may have been burned in the past by communities. A lot of people can feel the pressure of community. Uh, Alexa in the interview is going to speak to the idea of imposter syndrome, which of course is a huge one. You know, you might not feel like you are supposed to be there, you know, all kinds of things. And then I think in our post-COVID world, people are shyer. You know, we're feeling a little bit more reserved, hopefully coming out of our shells these days. But there's just a lot of reticence about going to things and being with people. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this t-shirt that says, I'm sorry, I'm late. I didn't want to (laughs) come. And it always makes me laugh because I feel that way sometimes, you know, and yet almost always once I go to something, I'm glad for having gone. So I'm curious, what is your take on this? And, you know, are there some shadow sides of community that have come up for you in the past or with participants at NaNoWriMo? I'm sure there are. Yeah, it's so great that you're um, mentioning that because I, it, for me, it's interesting because when I first decided to be a writer back in like 1987, it was a pretty lonely endeavor. You know, there weren't too many writers workshops or writing groups or MFA programs, at least by comparison to now. And there certainly weren't groups like NaNoWriMo or She Writes or all of the online communities. There's, there's so many online communities now, you know, that have de- developed so quickly that I can barely keep track of them. So the idea of writing workshops and courses, which tend to go hand in hand with communities have become so big and dominating that sometimes I think they need to be questioned exactly like this by each writer personally, because I think writers feel pressure to join communities and they certainly feel pressure to take classes or form writing groups to get feedback. And, and that's great. You know, many writers thrive on that, but not all writers do. And it's almost like, you know, you're made to feel inadequate if you don't join a community or get feedback. So I, actually try to give writers permission to define themselves within all this, you know, like I'm largely a solitary writer and I don't get feedback or share my stories until they're in the very last stages. And I feel part of many writing communities and I love them, but I also protect myself and protect my alone time. For instance, uh, some friends of mine just went on a weekend writing retreat, you know, with a, with a small group and that's super wonderful, but I actually can't imagine that working for me, for my writing. I like to, to sit alone and not have anyone nearby me, really. So the social and the creative just don't mesh together for me in this way. So I think people need to think about what's best for their creative process and stand up for the way they operate. Because, you know, as we know, you know, humans are a group of species. And so it's easy to feel like you have to do things the way the larger group is doing things. And that can often uh, inhibit or even harm you. Yeah, I'm so glad we're talking about this too, because every time we talk about community, you know, I feel like there's always that little edge of like, oh, someone's going to feel bad because they're like, I struggle with community or I can't find it or I don't know where I fit in. Uh, and, you know, people can have falling outs with people from communities. You know, I mean, I've actually experienced that myself over the course of my life. Um, you know, we can get our feelings hurt. We get in our own way. We can take things too personally. We can lash out or want to dominate or sabotage ourselves you know, 
by staying small. That's another thing that I see, especially with women writers. And then oftentimes you end up resenting it. Uh, You know, it would be awesome if we could all show up as our absolute best selves in every single endeavor we take on. But of course we do not. And sometimes I just think, you know, the most successful communities for me have been when I haven't had any kind of expectation. And then I just keep going back and something feels right. And you're sort of following that thread of feeling. And so you have to have openness. Uh, but I, I just appreciate that we have been exploring some of the realities, you know, that it's not just all like, oh, just go do it and rah, rah, you know, <laughs> cheerleading, because it, it is, it's it's kind of complicated sometimes. Grant, other than NaNoWriMo, what has been the strongest community in your lifetime? Yeah, it's interesting what you say about not having, um, you know, too big of expe- expectations and then just being conscious of how you feel in that community. And, and, and so to answer your question for me, it's the flash fiction community, which I love, you know, I, I love it because people who write flash fiction, they tend to be a little out of the literary mainstream. You know, it's a, it's a forum that has fought or is it is fighting for its own legitimacy, uh, both in the publishing space and the, the academic space. So it's, it's not commercial. There isn't money in it, which I think reduces the pressure, you know, like no one, I mean, I know that people are competing against one another that just exists, <laughs> but it doesn't feel that way. It just feels like very friendly and, and open. And so it's been, it's, it's been for me an amazingly welcoming community. And I love how, you know, my participation in both as a writer and a publisher of hundred word story magazine has introduced me to, you know, so many writers uh, around the world, literally. And we, we all share this obsession with this, you know, tiny little story form. So it's almost like we're collectors of a particular kind of antique lamp or something. <laughs> How about you, Brooke? I <laughs> love that. You know, I've been lucky to have other strong communities in my lifetime. Uh, I think what's different now about the writing community I have at She Writes is the way that it keeps growing and also the way like we've been discussing it's online. Uh, my other community experiences that are even on par with She Writes have been from earlier times in my life and they've all been IRL <laughs> in real life. Uh, you know, like I grew up in a strong church community. I went to youth group and that was a big deal for me, you know, a real sense of cohesion and community. Uh, And then I had a really wonderful running community for years because all through high school and college, I was part of teams. Uh, There's nothing like being on a team to support you to feel that sense of belonging. Uh, And then, you know, she writes, like I said, was my first online community. And that was very different. That said, I am always astounded by the deep bonds that can be forged in and through online communities and how you can get so close to a person that you've never met in real life. So that's, you know, again, I I just have moments where I'm like, wow, those people are so close and they've never met before. Or I've experienced people meeting for the first time, you know, after being friends for years and they're like, oh, we've only known each other online. And I, I just love those moments. But Grant, in the wake of NaNoWriMo with this subject matter fresh in your mind, what do you see as the things that stand out for you about how people engage in the community? I'm curious if there's like maybe one or two stories you might share that moved you this year. Well, just in general, one of the things I just love about the month of November is that I'm just so touched by just reading through, you know, social media streams and seeing NaNoWriMo writers encouraging each other. Because like you say, like so many of them, they don't know each other or they know each other very minimally and online. 
but they 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 just have this spirit to applaud each other on to keep going and to cross the finish line of their novel and i just love how a, a community like this provides that affinity between strangers and it's actually I've, I've heard a lot of people tell me it's really galvanizing just to feel all these people writing alongside you so that's a kind of interesting kind of layer of community i guess but just to get more particular i i, I recently heard a story about a reluctant writer who was a fourth grader who was autistic and he, he just didn't like writing so he was very upset to hear that his class was doing NaNoWriMo but one great part of our Young Writers program is how a classroom can become a, a writing community unto itself. You know, the kids, as I hear it, so many of the kids go out uh, at recess and they talk about their novels. They talk about their word count. Some of them stay after school to write. And that energy, you know, was infectious for this boy. So he, he actually engaged in his novel. He became super proud of it. And I hear he's writing it all the time. He carries a spiral notebook with him everywhere. Life-changing. Yeah, totally life-changing. And, you know, there are stories like this about adults as well. Um, at their best, I think communities can help you find your truth and your expression and then, you know, support you in putting your truth into the world. I love that, Grant. It's so touching. What a sweet story. Uh, and I'm sure there are countless like that. And we're going to hear some amazing, wonderful stories from Alexa, who is a head of a community and who has had her own journey with community. So we will be right back after a very short break. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Alexa Bigworth is our guest today. She's a USA Today bestselling author, publisher, and founder and CEO of Write, Publish, Sell, a company dedicated to helping authors professionally self-publish and market their books. Her courses and training focus on author platform growth and fun, creative ways to market books. She is also the founder and host of the Women in Publishing Summit, which is dedicated to providing education and growth opportunities and building community for authors and professionals in the publishing industry. And I have to say, that's a summit I have done a couple of times. It is amazing. To learn more, check out Women in Publishing Summit on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Alexa, welcome. So happy to have you on the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, both of you. Yeah, and you have a really interesting story about how you got into book publishing. So I want to start there and have you share this since foundation stories always provide such rich context. And specifically, I want you to share who you were and what brought you to publish your first book way back when, and maybe set the stage uh, around like the lack of community I imagine you had back then, and what it felt like to come into this big, bold world world as a new author. Well, okay, so there's a lot to this story. I'll try to condense it as much as I can, but um you know, I I would have never 
10 years ago would have never imagined seeing myself sitting right here and doing all the things that I'm doing. Um, I was working in counterterrorism and Homeland Security, Wow! <laughs> not writing books, never thinking I was going to be, but I, but I had a background in, in writing and technical writing. I was writing briefs. I was writing um, all, all types of things. So I loved writing. I've always been an avid reader, always thought one day I might be a writer, but how I came to it was completely out of left field. We actually unfortunately lost a daughter. And when she was two days old, she passed away. I had twins. They were very premature and had a syndrome and that was uh, very significant. So I actually started writing via blogging and kind of writing to heal and just putting my thoughts out into the world and trying to cope with everything that had happened in, in that situation. And after a while, I really started seeing, speaking of community, there's no, there's no more isolating event than losing a child, at least for me. I felt like I didn't have, had no one that really understood what was happening until I started finding the grief community. But the grief community was not someplace I wanted to spend too much time because that can be really, really heavy as well. We were there to support each other, but that's not um, that's not where I wanted to be really finding all the community. So I started blogging and actually that was where my first real community came from because this was back in the 2012 days when the mom blogger was on the rise. We were all doing all kinds of fun things and we were doing anthologies. And that was my first taste into books actually was participating in a few anthologies that some of the mom bloggers were doing. And then I decided to do Sunshine After the Storm, a survival guide for the grieving mother, where I pulled together a lot of people, um, moms and dads, to share their stories and, and their journeys. And about that time was when I met you. I remembered that because I also thought, oh, I'm going to write my first fiction book. And then you were like, you might want to do some more practicing. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, so, so yeah, the, the, the community has always been an important element to me being a background in the military. I was raised an army brat, like I'm always looking for community. So it, it it's, that's just kind of been something that I do. NaNoWriMo was a big part of my first uh, community coming in as a writer too. And having that fun experience way back, I think eight years ago was the first time I did it. So yeah, always, always looking for a way to, grow and and find people who experienced similar things to me and and to have that commiseration no matter what the the challenge was that was such an interesting story alexa so thanks for sharing it and um i'm just curious like what were the next steps after that first book like how long did it take you to go from being a debut author to doing the work that you you now do at write publish sell so it's it's interesting because that first book was such a big collaboration between um, like 34 different authors. I really felt more like a project manager than an author. I wrote quite a bit of it and my own story and, and all of that, but I really was pulling it together. And I, I loved, I kind of fell in love with the process of publishing before I fell in love with the process of being a writer. And because, it, you know, I, I'm, I was an in intel and counterterrorism officer. I love enigmas. And I think we can all agree publishing <laughs> is a bit of an enigma. Sometimes there's a lot to figure out. So I really embraced that piece of it. I didn't want to stick in the grief world of writing. So I was like, well, what else can I write about? Well, I have three little kids. Let's start doing writing books for, for moms. So I started a series of books called Lose the Cape. And none of them are solo authored. The first one was co-written and the rest of them were anthologies again. So again, more of like the, the 
the leader, if you will, the the project manager of it. And I just, I love, I loved that piece of it. I also really love to share knowledge. I love to teach. I love to bring people along with me for the ride. So I just kind of started sharing those pieces of information and created the website, started almost like not shepherding at that time. I was just doing things for others that they didn't know how to do. I learned how to format a book, do the eBooks, load to all the places and all of that. So as I was helping people through the process, I thought, well, why don't I share about this on the blog in, um, in other forums as well to, to help people and just loved that piece of it. Alexa, I just want to pause and, and, and mark this occasion that you're the first person I've ever heard uh, compare publishing to counterterrorism. So we just need, we just need to, to pause and appreciate that. Acknowledge that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you some days feel just as terrifying as... <laughs> As my old world did. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use that, the enigma word, because it's so well stated. And Alexa, I mean, when, you're so gracious. I mean, we're laughing about my feedback to your novel at the time. But I also <laughs> want to say, like, I'm so impressed by you, you know, and you came oh. and you had this vision and this mission, and then you self-published. And we've run into each other so many times over the years, because you threw yourself into the publishing community. And in a lot of ways, self-published authors are like, outsider insiders, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because you're like saying, I'm doing this myself, but you can really put yourself into the publishing industry and get quite a lot of respect, which you've done. And I just want to say, or ask you, I guess, to say more about, you know, the draw for you to the publishing community specifically, and, and how you were received in that community, and maybe how that's changed over these 10 years. Oh, gosh. Um, so I'm a go big or go home kind of person. Like I don't like to just do something a little bit and I like to learn all the things. So if I'm going to be spending my time doing something, I knew I wanted to, I, I don't like to not know the answer to a question. I'm not a know-it-all if you, you know, I don't, but I don't want to know, I don't want to be stuck not knowing. And so I realized if I was helping other people through the process and especially publishing their books for them or with them. Like I did not ever want there to be a day where we looked back and said, I screwed this up. I was the reason. And we did. I made mistakes. We all make mistakes back in the beginning. So every time I made a mistake, I set to learning as much as I could. And I knew that a big part of that was joining IBPA, was going to BEA, which is where we met in person for the first time, was getting involved in these different elements and just constantly learning everything that I could is you can't teach something, you can't share about something, you can't do something for people if you're not continuously growing and learning and making sure that you're doing it to the best of your ability. And you know, because we've talked about the hybrid press so much, like I do not want to be one of those people that's bringing the hybrid press down. I want people to show it as an example of how well we're doing and working with authors. So I can't, I can't afford to make mistakes, even though I do. And I try to recover as graciously as possible. But, you know, it, it just, it, it was really important for me to, um, to seek, seek the guidance and the mentorship. And you were a big part of that. Um, even though I joke around, you know, the feedback, the reality is you gave me some amazing feedback and really helped me start those building blocks that it took 10 years for me to finish that novel, by the way, but I did it. And, 
And there's not a day that I don't think about you and the impact that you had on me in relation to that book. So, you know, it's, it's, it's mentorship, which comes from going to places like that. It's learning, it's seeing your trade in motion. If you're an author, how can you not be going to bookseller events and not be going to trade events or publishers in particular? You have to know what's happening, what's driving, why booksellers don't want to buy your book when you only tell them it's available on Amazon, which was a big thing I learned at my first conference. <laughs> I walked up to a bookseller and said, hi, I'm Alexa Bigwarf, and here's my books, and they're all available on Amazon. And he said, I'm going to stop you right there, and I'm just going to explain something to you. <laughs> so those are the moments that are awful in the situation, but change the trajectory of everything if you change with it. Well, Alexa, you know, earlier, Brooke and I were, were talking about some of the challenges of community, you know, like pressures that you might feel to show up, for instance, or, you know, how sometimes we get in our own way and can feel alienated or isolated, even when we're in community. And I was wondering, have you had any shadow experiences with community? And, and what have you done when something like that has come up for you? Absolutely. Um, I think there's two reasons where I feel that. And the first and foremost is when I'm in the wrong community. So if nothing is vibing with what I'm feeling or my values aren't being matched, um, and so I leave. That's actually how the Women in Publishing Summit really came to to be was in 2017, 2016 and 2017, I was attending a lot of the virtual summits and I wasn't seeing representation of women's voices or diversity. And I was like, this is weird because I'm working with women every day. I have all these amazing female mentors in the industry. Why are they not here in these conferences? So that's why I decided to create that environment. So that's one way um, or one instance where it's just the wrong place. And so I, I took that and started my own community. That's not going to be the answer for everyone, but find a different community that matches where you are. And the second time I have those shadow moments is more of an internal experience. I would say it's from imposter syndrome when I'm in the right place, but I don't feel like I deserve to be at that table. And so that, you know, we all struggle with that. I'm, I'm constantly working on making sure that I know that I should be there. And even if I'm not where everybody else is, I am working to get there. Thanks for naming that, Alexa, because you're totally right. I mean, we do all have that, like even the most accomplished people and you kind of feel shocked. You're like, wait, what? You feel that? Yeah. Uh, and it's a it's a good segue into my next question, because you are 10 years into this, as you've said, and you're helping other authors and you've really become a go to person in this space. And the work that you're doing with Women in Publishing Summit is so I think it's such a force for good. So I would love to hear you talk about the evolution from author to leader and what has been the most rewarding part of those roles for you? Well, I love I love to try to put myself author first from time to time because it helps me stay in the space of the people that I'm leading, if you will, you know, because if you forget where you came from, and of course I just really started as a novelist publishing my my first novel last year, so I feel like I am starting all over again in some ways. But it's kind of surprising sometimes because you forget you're not just one of the gang until <laughs> until people respond to you in certain ways or are doing are doing different things when you see them at events and you realize oh wow these are part of my community like they see that uh, i mean they see me as someone who is leading them and who is a, you know up here and and that's that's awkward for me sometimes like i was used to that in the military because 
that was my job and I was put in place to be that position. But in this world, it was, it was different because it was a, a very slow rise. And then all of a sudden here we are. But I would say I try not to, I try to continue to, to build that community with other people who are like right by my side. And I feel like I'm more of a peer and a colleague with a lot of, of people. I don't know if this is answering it in the way that, that, we, that you're looking for, but it's great. Yeah. Um, I think it's always really important that we never like get too separated away from who we're serving. And as long as I consider myself one of the people that I'm also serving, then I think it helps me keep a, a real good focus on where the community should be going and how we build the community and how we maintain the, for, for the women in publishing summit in, in particular, like our vibe and our, I guess the, the the feeling of our community and 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 how we show up is really important to our people and it's really important to me. So so always staying at that same level, even though I'm the one that's directing it. If that makes any sense at all, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to wrap my head around not being just one of the people in the community sometimes. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I mean, there are times when I definitely have to like pull myself out and say, okay, I have to think about this as someone who is the organizer, the, you know, the, the CEO behind this organization, obviously not just somebody who's a part of it. And those are actually my most um, lonely times. I much prefer to be part of the whole crew and, and enjoying the things like I just went to a conference, an author conference, um, 20 books, and it was just so much fun to meet up with women from our community, but all as authors. Like we were all just there as authors and it was nice to be just one of the gang. <laughs> I'm sure you know what this feels like having risen from, you know, being when you go from peer to not peer and how you still stay peer with the people that you want to. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think that's actually one of the keys to the success, you know, is just like being in there with them. You're not like elevated at some high level necessarily. You know, it's like, I think of my, my group as my sisterhood, right? I mean, yes. it's like I'm, I'm not the mom, <laughs> you know, I'm right. another sister. <laughs> and I, I think those are successful communities. So I, I totally get what you're articulating. We're, we're on the same page, sister. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, Alexa, I, I'm very interested in, in in what you said earlier about you know when you, when you're in the wrong community, and then also when you're in the right community, but you have imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. you know, which I, I've definitely experienced both of those. And so I'm, I'm just curious, like to to a listener out there who doesn't necessarily have a community, what would you offer to that listener, uh, you know, to give them advice, you know, about where where to start? How do you start? How do you find a community for yourself? Well, you you look. First of all, I think, uh, I, I, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too. I want something to happen and I just wait for it to happen to me or wait for somebody to tell me about it. I think there's so many wonderful places to start. You can even start with like service organizations like IBPA or, or writing conferences or NaNoWriMo or other places like that, that we all hear about, um, you know, that the easy place to start is with the Facebook group with other authors. And then you start hearing about these different events and organizations. And, and once you're plugged into to one that's really doing a lot of things and has a lot of different authors, then you start hearing about so many things. And then you're like, oh my gosh, how do I narrow it down between all these events and conferences and, and all of those things. But even, even a lot of the, um, 
the tools and communities and resources that are providing stuff for uh, self-published authors like Pro Writing Aid, as an example, They're the self-editing tool, they have a lot of mini conferences and a lot of engagement with other communities as well. So many of these organizations and resources and tools have started building communities around their products as well. So I think finding community is probably the easiest thing to do if you're willing to just go out there and look a little bit or Google. I know in South Carolina, almost every state has some sort of writer's organization or association. I'm part of the South Carolina Writers Association. So I think that's the easy part. Now, finding the one where you actually feel like you fit and like you are are part of that may be a little bit more challenging. I think you also ask uh, about what to do to get more involved. And I think sometimes once people are are in the organization, they're afraid to say anything. Because again, if you're a brand new writer, what do you have to offer to the group? You know, it's very intimidating. Everybody's sharing these stories or they're using words and expressions and phrases like you've never heard, like what's a POV and what's a, you know, head hopping and all these new things that just come at you out of nowhere and you're trying to absorb it and figure it all out. I would say everybody's been that new person. Don't don't be afraid of asking questions. Don't be afraid of saying hello and reaching out because if you hide no one's ever going to see you and then you never get that benefit of feeling in community with people because you're just on the sidelines watching everybody else be in community and that can be very lonely as well. Yeah, thanks for all of that Alexa, it's super helpful and um I I just I I know because I work with so many authors, you know, that sense of alienation that people feel exactly what you're talking about, you know, kind of being on the sidelines, not knowing how to join, feeling awkward. So much of that stems from self-consciousness or like you said, imposter syndrome. Uh, You go to a lot of events and I wanted to ask you about the differences between community. I mean, we've met at conferences, but I've also done stuff with you online, you know, so there's that like the in-person versus the online. And I wondered if you think it matters to the average person out there who's wanting to get more involved if they only have an online community? I think if you're if you're showing up to events, um, a lot of people will join communities and then never go to the live events. They just watch the recordings of things or listen, you know, do those types of things. So I think if you participate in the actual live things that happen, if that community offers those in the Facebook group where, where you can talk to people and see people and actually engage, I know plenty of people who are perfectly happy with just having a virtual community that they talk to, that they can see, that they can laugh with, that they can actually, uh, you know, Zoom has made it so that we can all feel like we know each other, like know each other really, really well, even if we've never met in person. So I think it's, we have so many people in our community. Every time I say, should we make the Women in Publishing Summit a live event? We get a small contingency that says, yes, we'd love to come in person and do things. But most of our people say, we love doing this uh, virtually because we can't travel. We can't afford to travel. We have health issues. We have this or that. So we're able to still keep that that group together on that. But I love and always encourage people when they can go to an in-person event 
to get to an in-person event. It is completely different. The level of relationship that you build with people when you can laugh together and see each other in person and hug each other and go get a drink together and sometimes get a little wild, you know, whatever the, whatever the situation is, sometimes not get wild, but just like feel together, be together. Um, I, I think you learn differently. I think you absorb more and, and it stays with you much, much longer. So even if you can only get to one event a year, one in-person event a year, I highly recommend it for really solidifying relationships and, and learning. And I, I tell you what, it's the, I've only been to a few major trade. Well, let's see. I went to New York City to BEA and I went to Digital Book World. I went to the Bologna Book Fair, which I highly encourage anyone to take a trip on over to Bologna Book Fair. Um, so I try to get to the trade events as well. And they are just, even as just an author, absolutely mind-blowing when you see what's really happening in the back end of our world, our industry. Um, but but I love going to the publisher events and, and author events too for, for really getting to to get to know each other better. It's so great, Alexa. Thanks for all that. Because I think for so many authors, they feel like they can't or they're not supposed to go to those industry events. And guess what? You can. You just have to show up and get a ticket. So That's perhaps right. you'll inspire some of our listeners to get out there in 2024 and choose an event. So thank you for all of your insight. Congrats on all the things that you're doing. And thanks for all the help that you give to authors in your community. It's awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. This is a topic I could talk about for days, as you can guess. <laughs> Thanks so much, Alexa. Thanks. We'll be right back with today's book trend after this short break. Grant, you know, I can't help myself. I'm sorry. We are circling back to celebrity memoir this week for the trend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the thing is, there's a lot to say, and there are a lot of celebrity memoirs coming out. So, you know, it makes it like a trend in motion. I totally get it, Brooke, and I'm, you know, whatever. I'm a, I'm a celebrity <laughs> hound myself in my way. Uh, this fall has definitely seen some really, uh, you know, heavy hitters, too. So it's, it's hard not to pay attention. And just to list a few, Kerry Washington's memoir, Thicker Than Water, came out at the end of September, followed by Brittany's memoir, The Woman in Me, at the end of October, and then Barbara Streisand's memoir and doorstopper my name is barbara <laughs> in early november and i think i think we're going to be seeing a lot of celebrity memoir given how revelatory these books are and how much you know fans are lapping them up so i'm curious brooke are there any of these books that you have read or want to read i do want to read all three of those barbara's is the most daunting it is nearly a thousand pages as you said a doorstopper 48 hours of audio i mean two days of my life barbara I do love you. And clearly you have fans who are falling all over themselves to spend that kind of time with you. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe in time. But I'll most likely read Britney's memoir first among all of these three and probably actually most likely the audio, which takes us to kind of a trend within a trend because uh, with memoir, well, actually fiction too, is increasingly being read by other celebrities. And so Britney's A Woman in Me is getting rave reviews and specifically rave audio reviews. Uh, because it's read by Michelle Williams, who I love. And so then it's kind of like you have this celebrity that you're maybe kind of 
fixated by like this figure also paired with an actress who's fantastic. Uh, I've only listened to a clip so far, but it really is a truly dramatic performance. Uh, and, you know, she's like embodying Britney as if she were doing an acting role, which of course it is in a way. Uh, so I think that this is another cool way that we're pushing the boundaries. And I'm probably going to say like listening to audiobook for um, celebrity memoir is, is a pretty cool way to engage it. Yeah, for instance, suddenly I want to listen to Britney's memoir now that I've learned that. You know, it wasn't on my list, but I'm like, wow, if I can hear Michelle Williams read it, especially with your description, that sounds great. Um, but yeah, it, this is a trend within a trend, and it, it also extends to fiction more and more. We're seeing actors narrate fiction. You know, for instance, Tom Hanks narrated Ann Patchett's The Dutch House. The New York Times recently covered this trend too, noting that, you know, celebrities reading audiobooks is very much like matchmaking. You know, the article referred to Lucy Liu. Uh, narrating Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng, Julianne Moore narrating Day, a new novel by Pulitzer Prize winning Michael Cunningham, and then Anne Patchett is really hitting it out of the park too because her, you know, her most recent book, Tom Lake, is narrated by Meryl Streep. I saw that and I have so many questions about how that happens, you know, like what kind of money would it take to get Meryl Streep or Tom Hanks to narrate? I mean, obviously the publisher is paying for it, but still Tom Lake is 11 hours of audio and so it's got to be really cool for, you know, celebrities who are book lovers, too. So Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, you know, doing this kind of work. I actually interviewed Ann Patchett for Women Lit, and we ran that interview on Right Minded back in March of 2021. If listeners want to go back and revisit that show, because I asked her about her connection to Tom Hanks, and she said that uh, she reached out to him. And so she had him in mind. I, I, they must have had some sort of connection. I'm not exactly remembering at the moment. Uh, in the case of Julianne Moore, she apparently requested that job because she'd done The Hours, which is the film about uh, Virginia Woolf based on Michael Cunningham's book. And so for readers, it's such a treat to listen to real actors perform these audiobooks. I love it. Obviously, I talk about how often I listen to audio. Uh, and I did listen to Tom Hanks do The Dutch House. And it's such easy listening, both because he's a great reader and performer, but also because of the familiarity. I mean, I grew up with Tom Hanks, right? And so I know his voice. We know his voice. He's keeping you company in a sense as he's reading this story to you. And it's really, really wonderful if you love the actor in particular. Sounds like these are definitely parallel trends, you know, celebrity memoir and actors reading audiobooks. So that I'm sure that's going to only continue to contribute to the other trend of audiobook sales being on the rise. They continue to be on the rise. Yeah, totally. It's inevitable. And I am such a huge consumer of audiobooks. And the reason for that is because I like being able to read books while I walk the dog, go for a run or drive to Southern California to see my mom, you know, so maybe I will find time for Barbara's book. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, go on a long road trip. <laughs> yeah, I need the cross country road trip for Babs there. Uh, but you know, Brittany's book is only five and a half hours compared to Barbara's two days. So I think I will definitely start there with Michelle Williams. Good plan. You know, I'm a fan of brevity, so I'd like to challenge Barbara to tell her entire life story in maybe an hour. <laughs> Not possible. I know I could do that, but maybe we should start with 24 hours and then work down from there. But we're not going to pare down anything for you, listeners. We want to provide you with plenty of writerly wisdom each week. And we thank you for tuning in and rating us and leaving comments and, and just for writing and being here and, you know, creating this conversation about writing. So we will see you next week. <laughs>